0: I love the smell of commerce in the morning. Why are we at the mall? Listen, we just spent an entire season hanging out at Quick Stop on the Jay and Simon Bob Minute, and I thought we could use some new scenery. But why the mall? It has everything we need. A cookie stand, a magic eye poster, and Stan Lee. It would be better if Batman was here. Ben Affleck is here. <sighs> I guess that's close enough. If you've enjoyed this witty banter, please join us this season on Jane Silent Bob Minute as we discuss Kevin Smith's mall rats. Snoochie-boochies. We will figure out why this original opening exists, why Shannon Doherty keeps changing outfits, and why that kid is back on the escalator again. So join us for all the chocolate-covered pretzels you can eat. On Jane Silent Bob Minute on Dueling Genre. And welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're talking about Phryne Fisher from the TV series Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. And joining the discussion is returning guest, Kirsta Christensen. Hello! Welcome back, Kirsta. Why, thank you. Always happy to have you here. Uh, for anyone who is unfamiliar, and this is maybe one of the less mainstream TV shows we've talked about, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries is an Australian TV series that aired 34 episodes across three series. They don't call them seasons there, I found, beginning in 2012. Uh, and it starred Essie Davis as a detective solving a weekly murder in 1920s Melbourne, Australia. We're discussing episode two of the series, Murder on the Ballarat Train, which was written by Elizabeth Coleman and Deb Cox and directed by Kate Dennis. So, you asked to do this series, and I was, of course, game to do it. Uh, When did you first discover Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries? So,
1: it was picked up by Netflix in 2014, and I just had a group of friends who really loved it and talked about it a lot. And at some point, um, I wanted to start watching a new TV show, or wanted to try something out, or maybe I was homesick from work or something, and started watching it. And I was – I found it kind of jarring at first, because I have – It turns out I have watched a lot of murder mystery set in the 20s because I'm a very big Agatha Christie fan growing up. I read a lot of Agatha Christie fan and watched a lot of the adaptations. And while it is set in the 1920s, it is very, very much written from a modern point of view in terms of um, some of the – Politics of the characters and some of the and some of the kind of moral tones that it takes, which is great and I and I love it, but it's it's definitely not um, something that was written contemporarily, and yeah. that kind of threw me for a loop. It's not period first.
0: accurate, correct? I, but it's not it's, trying it's, to be
1: no. And I, and I should say it is accurate in terms of um, in terms of clothing and costumes, and and you know, there's a lot of historical research that's gone into it. But it's also um, in terms of in terms of the the values of the main characters it's probably would not have been written that way yeah. in the 1920s.
0: It's kind of like when you watch Down Abbey and uh, everyone finds out Thomas is gay and they're like we're going to look the other way on this. I'm like I don't think that's what would have happened. Right. <laughs> in or, the, or, the yes, period when Well, yes, yeah. uh, you know, was actually happening, but Or
1: you know, or it could have happened but it would have been rare.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. But but this is just kind of a given that everyone's mm-hmm. going to be more accepting than sure. what it would have been then. Yeah, so so that kind of cultural inaccuracy more so. Um I remember my wife at one point we, we generally Netflix binge together, mm-hmm. but, uh, she needed a show to watch while she was on the treadmill and I was doing something else and she latched onto this and she told me I should watch it because she was enjoying it, but I just never got around to it. And then you said, let's do it. I'm like, oh, great. I, I remember Emily talking about that. Uh, I'll, I'll watch the first couple episodes. It's going to feel for the characters. You wanted yeah. to do the second episode. So that made a lot of sense. And then you texted me, um... On Friday before we recorded, saying you need to watch this the, the, the today or tomorrow because it's leaving Netflix on, yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, no, because
1: I went. I've I've seen the. I've gone through the whole series twice. It's been but it's been a few years, and I and I went to watch it again to write the summary. And there was this little tiny note because Netflix doesn't broadly advertised, you know, it's, it's kind of, if on the side it's hard to find out what's leaving, but there's a little thing that said, like, leaving, as we record this, leaving September 15th? I was like, oh no,
0: oh yeah. no. So we're going to be recording on Tuesday, and yeah. usually I watch Monday or Tuesday for, yeah. for the recording, like for writing the summary or for, for just familiarizing myself. Because I wanted to be fresh, and I got the message from you, like, you need to watch this now. Yes. This <laughs> is going away. <laughs>
1: and I actually... Um, and and based on it, I wasn't sure if it was going to be like Saturday was the last day or Sunday was the last day. And I kind of thought it was Sunday. And then I went to watch it on Sunday and it was gone. So I actually bought the second episode because I wasn't done with <laughs> writing the review. And frankly, it's one that I was... You know, planning on buying anyway. So um, so now that Netflix has dropped it, they have forced my hand.
0: It's okay. It'll be one of the, on one of the 18 new streaming services that will be coming our ways next year that we have to try and decide because we all cut our cable to save money. Yeah. <laughs> and now all of media is going to be split <laughs> between so many streaming services.
1: Okay. The TV show is based on a series of novels by Australian author Carrie Greenwood. To date, there are 20 novels in the series, the first of which was published in 1989 and the most recent in 2015. 2000- Greenwood has written dozens of other novels as well. Phryne, spelled P-H-R-Y-N-E, is the name of an ancient Greek courtesan. Why would you name your daughter after an ancient Greek courtesan? Well, in-universe, the character was supposed to be named Psyche, which is a more respectable Greek name, but her father forgot the correct name at her christening, and frankly, it suits the character to be named after a Greek courtesan. Um, Every episode ends with a different period-appropriate song. This episode ends with Positively, Absolutely by the Six Jumping Jacks released in 1927. I like the Six Jumping Jacks as the name of a popular music group. And the series was nominated for several awards in Australia, including a total of five Best Actress nominations for Essie Davis, two nominations for Best Costume Design, one nomination for Best Writing, and one nomination for Best Television Drama Series.
0: Pause. It ran for three series. How does she have five nominations? What kind of performance was she giving? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> um because there's there it's more than one award series.
0: Okay. So so, so
1: it's basically like winning both an Emmy and a Golden Globe. Okay. You can do that in the same year. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or was her performance just so good they had to nominate her twice. Right. Like this episode and that episode <laughs> right. you're in. Yes.
1: <laughs> um yeah. Of those nominations, it won one Acta Award for Best Costume Design, which was very, very, very deserved because the costumes are amazing, especially Miss Visters' clothes.
0: That's one thing I noticed watching this. I'm like, oh, they put the money into the cause sometimes when you watch a period piece, it's like, this is what they had around. And that's yeah. fine. It, yeah. You know, it ends up not being distracting, but it's also not special. This one I was like, there's something going on here with the the set and the costume design.
1: And I don't even know, I don't even know if she wears an outfit twice. It's amazing. There's so, so, so many costumes. Which is like appropriate for the character, but Hard on the budget. <laughs> um, a feature film called Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears began production in 2018 and is scheduled for release in Australia in 2020. The film was partially supported through crowdfunding efforts, raising its goal of $250,000 on Indiegogo in less than 48 hours. So it's definitely one of those shows that has a lot of strong fans. And a spin off series debuted in 2019 called Ms. Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries with an emphasis on Maud. It is set in the 1960s and it is about Friday Fisher's niece, Peregrine Fisher, who decides to take up the family business of being a detective and adventurer
0: what names this family has
1: (laughs) and um and i'll say i i read this somewhere and then i wasn't able to completely confirm it so take it with a grain of salt but i've heard that the reason that the series ended was that the main actress moved from australia to england and so she couldn't be in a tv show that was filming every week for however long time period Uh in australia um and i think that's one of the reasons that they switched over to doing a feature film um Mm -hmm. because uh because that that's a shorter.
0: Yeah, the schedule is a lot easier. Have you ever watched um Death in Paradise?
1: No, I don't even know what
0: that is. It's a, a BBC series. Um and well, minor spoiler, let's just say periodically an actor just leaves the show and you're and it, you know, it's, it's a core character. He's like, what happened? And every time it happens, you go research it and they're like, I just couldn't be away from my family for that long because they had to be away in six months filming in the Caribbean, because they actually filmed oh, in the uh-huh. Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh and, and it's just constantly it's like, oh well I got home and my son didn't recognize me, so that's it. I'm done <laughs> with the show. I'm sorry. I love the show. There's yeah. No complaints about the work environment, but yeah. I just couldn't be away from my family. And then the you know new actor comes on and they're there for a couple of series and then they're gone and you like look up what happened. It's the exact same story.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah. Um that's actually kind of a pet peeve of mine about television is when characters have to be written off for non-plot reasons. Mm-hmm. Um but that's okay. That's different media have different strengths and weaknesses and that's that's a weakness that's a challenge of of television is is working around with everyone's schedules.
0: Well, before we move on to the spoiler uh, discussion, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and for listening, and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And now, Kirsta, you were kind enough to write the summary of this um, this episode. <laughs>
1: Yes, and I discovered that writing a summary for an hour-long murder mystery is actually very complicated because- So many red herrings! (laughs) Yes. So um, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on the characters and just briefly summarize the pilot. So There are four main characters. Um, As Joe said, it's set in 1920s Melbourne, Australia, and the main character is the Honorable Miss Phryne Fisher, who is a wealthy, fashionable, and independent woman who has just returned to her native Australia after spending several years abroad. Um, then we have Dorothy Williams, known as Dot, who is Miss F- Fisher's maid and lady's companion, and she's very timid and conservative compared with Miss Fisher. But working for Miss Fisher opens up her life to new experiences and gives her an opportunity to overcome her fears. Next we have Constable Hugh Collins, who is a young but earnest policeman at the Melbourne City South Station. He is sweet on Dot. Who- I was gonna say
0: they were making eyes, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. He is sweet on Dot, who returns his interest, but he's very shy around her. And last we have Detective Inspector Jack Robinson, who is a a police detective at Melbourne City South, and he is Constable Collins's boss. He has a very dry and serious, no nonsense attitude, and he doesn't like civilians interfering in police work.
0: Shocking that a uh, a murder mystery show with a <laughs> civilian detective would have tension with the police force.
1: That's right. Okay, so. Um, very brief, unsatisfying summary of the pilot episode. In the first episode, Franny Fisher returns to Melbourne and becomes involved in a murder investigation after her friend's husband dies under mysterious circumstances. Along the way, she makes the acquaintance of police detective inspector Jack Robinson and his subordinate constable Hugh Collins. She also hires a new maid, Dorothy Williams. After assorted adventures and false leads, she solves the murder. At the end of the episode, having solved the case, she buys champagne for her assembled friends and acquaintances and announces that she has decided to become a lady detective causing detective inspector robinson to do a spit take (laughs) all right episode two miss fisher and dot are taking an express train from melbourne to a city called ballarat where miss fisher will pick up her new luxury car a hispano suiza h6 At the train station, Miss Fisher sees a ragged-looking young girl. There's also a disagreeable woman, Mrs. Henderson, and her adult daughter, Eunice. Later, Eunice greets her fiancé, Alistair, and his friend, Lindsay, who have arrived on the train platform to see her and her mother off on their trip to Ballarat. Both men, Alistair and Lindsay – Lindsay used to be a man's name – wear the distinctive (laughs) striped blazers of the Melbourne University Boat Club. Phryne gazes flirtatiously out the train window at Lindsay, who returns her interest "'On the way to Ballarat, Miss Fisher and Dot are in the dining car of the train along with Mrs. Henderson and Eunice. "'Another man, Alexander Cotton, enters the car with his young son and recoils upon seeing Mrs. Henderson there. "'They clearly have a history. "'In the middle of the night, Dot is asleep and Miss Fisher is still awake. "'The train stops briefly. "'When the train begins moving again, Miss Fisher smells something strange and goes out into the corridor to investigate. "'She peeks through a crack in the door of another sleeping compartment and sees Eunice unconscious on the floor.' Unable to open the locked door of the compartment, Franny pulls out a small golden revolver and shoots the lock off instead. That's that's a very good example of Miss Fisher being Miss Fisher. She finds Eunice has been chloroformed, but is otherwise unhurt. Her mother, however, is missing from their cabin. Dot has woken up and joins them in the compartment. Miss Fisher tells Dot to pull the emergency cord, stopping the train. Local police officers arrive and start searching the area near the stopped train, calling for Mrs. Henderson. Miss Fisher gives one of the officers her business card and offers her services, only to be told not to worry her, quote, pretty head about police work. Miss Fisher responds by name-dropping Senior Detective Inspector Jack Robinson as someone who greatly appreciates her help. This is a lie. The sergeant says he will ask Detective Robinson directly when he phones in his report, calling Miss Fisher's bluff. Constable Collins arrives on the scene and runs into Dot in the train corridor, leading to an adorably awkward encounter.
0: This is where they were making eyes, but, yes. but they couldn't be making eyes at each other, but they both wanted to be right. making eyes at each other, yes. but were completely incapable.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Miss Fisher pokes her head into the corridor, and Constable Collins tells her that he has a message from Detective Robinson. She is to, quote, stay in her compartment, resist the temptation to interfere, and not bandy about his name for her own convenience. (laughs) Bandy is a great word. Miss Fisher refuses to stay in her compartment, instead tracking down the local sergeant telling him that she felt this train stop briefly, which he does not believe, because he says it was an express train. However, they realize that it must have been a water stop, and Miss Fisher joins the police officers in walking back down the tracks to the place where the train stopped, where they make a gruesome discovery. Mrs henderson's body is hanging from the water tank and her expensive jewelry is missing miss fisher and alexander cotton are in her compartment discussing the murder detective robinson arrives to take mr cotton elsewhere for questioning miss fisher says that she was just leaving so they can use her compartment instead of leaving quickly miss fisher lingers in the compartment so she can overhear detective robinson's questions mr cotton says that he and his son were on the way to ballarat because they had won free tickets to an agricultural show there detective robinson hints that miss fisher should leave and she finally does detective robinson asks mr cotton about his relationship with mrs henderson mr cotton explains that his wife died in labor while mrs henderson was the matron of the local hospital Motive, motive. Miss Fisher finds Eunice and offers her detective services to help solve the murder. She tracks down Detective Robinson again and starts pestering him about whether or not he thinks Mr. Cotton murdered Mrs. Henderson. Detective Robinson asks Miss Fisher how she was able to get into the Hendersons' locked compartment. Miss Fisher lies and says that she hit the lock with her shoe. Detective Robinson dryly observes that her shoe seems to have the ballistic capabilities of a .38 revolver. <laughs> so that I mean that's a really really great example of their relationship because. He's, he's very observant. Like, they are absolutely each as smart as each other. And so he's like, how did you get in? And he already knows how she got in. And then when she lies, he's like, mm, funny about that. You know, I don't think that's how you got in. The local sergeant has found a young girl who was picked up walking the rail line with a handkerchief full of Mrs. Henderson's diamonds. Detective Robinson tries questioning her, but she won't answer. Miss Fisher recognizes her as the girl who was lurking at the train platform and realizes she must have stowed away on the train. She says her name is Jane. The train is still stopped on the on the way to Ballarat, but Miss Fisher's car is delivered to her and she offers Eunice and Jane a ride back to Melbourne, leading Detective Robinson to remark, Constable, is it possible Miss Fisher's just kidnapped the victim's daughter and one of our suspects? When Miss Fisher returns to Melbourne, Alistair, who again is Eunice's fiancé, and Lindsay, who as it turns out is her cousin, come to visit. Miss Fisher wonders if Eunice is feeling well enough to go home, but Alistair assures her that he is studying to be a doctor and can take care of Eunice. Later, Detective Robinson comes by to berate Miss Fisher for taking off with Jane. However, Miss Fisher has convinced Jane to talk to Detective Robinson and tells him that she saw another stowaway on the train wearing the striped blazer of the Melbourne University Boat Club. But since she saw him from behind, she doesn't know who it was, if it was Alistair or Lindsay.
0: Also, these blazers, if you saw them out in public, you would not know the face because these blazers are right. so distracting yes. by themselves. It doesn't matter that it was from behind. It's like bright
1: purple stripes. <laughs> like
0: three inch wide stripes right. of cream and purple. One of
1: those like that Vertical. Was, yeah, that was fashionable in 1920s for a minute, apparently. Um, then Miss Fisher tells Detective Robinson that she has called the vice chancellor of the university and found out that Alistair is not going to be a doctor because he has in fact failed his medical degree. And last week I had to go through FERPA training, and you know what? That's a violation of FERPA.
0: Nineteen twenties, might maybe didn't have FERPA. Yeah, nineteen twenties
1: Australia. But that was in my brain because I just barely had to renew my training. So don't tell random. I've people. definitely had
0: that thought when like there when there's like a university setting for yeah, so the detectives yeah. go and ask questions, like every answer should be I can't tell you that. Right? I can't talk about my student. I'm right. sorry, I can't talk about my student.
1: <laughs> yes, and you know, this is 1920s Australia, but the training was fresh enough in my mind that that was my reaction. Detective Robinson asks Alistair where he was the night of the murder. Alistair is embarrassed, but he says that he spent the night in jail after he was picked up for soliciting, let us say, female companionship. <laughs> Later, Eunice informs Detective Robinson that her mother's will left everything to Eunice's cousin, Lindsay, giving him a motive for the murder. When questioned about an alibi, Lindsay says that he went to the automobile club, but Detective Robinson says that his name wasn't on the register. When pressed further, Lindsay says that he actually spent the night in jail under Alistair's name. He has an arrangement with Alistair so that if he's caught doing something illegal, he can pretend to be Alistair so that he won't be disqualified from a future profession in the law. Now it's unclear which one was actually in jail and which one was on the train. Jane and a bunch of other orphans had been living with a man and woman who forced them to pick pockets. Miss Fisher corners the man and calls the police. This is like an entire side story that I just cut out. Sorry, folks. Inspector Robinson comes to Miss Fisher's house to tell her and Jane that both the man and the woman have been arrested, and the orphans have been rehomed with extended family if they have any. Jane unfortunately does not. Eunice stops by to give Miss Fisher a check for her work and says that she no longer wishes to retain her services. Phryne holds up the check and points out to Inspector Robinson that the handwriting is the same as on the envelope with the free tickets anonymously sent to Alexander Cotton, indicating that she was trying to frame Mr. Cotton by ensuring that he would be on the same train as her and her mother. Eunice tearfully admits that she and Alistair were attempting to frame Mr. Cotton, but says that they only wanted to chloroform her mother and steal her jewelry, not kill her. But her mother accidentally woke up too soon after they would chloroformed her and they panicked. Miss Fisher warns her that Alistair may become dangerous once he hears that Lindsay inherited all of the money instead of Eunice. Miss Fisher, Inspector Robinson, and Eunice arrive at the rowing club to find Alistair attacking Lindsay. Miss Fisher reveals to Eunice that Alistair always intended to kill her mother because he had failed his medical degree and needed more money. They pull Alistair away from Lindsay and he is arrested along with Eunice. Miss Fisher puts Jane to bed. Jane asks when she will be sent back to the orphanage. Miss Fisher offers to let Jane live with her instead. Later that night, Detective Robinson stops by to let her know that he has spoken to welfare and she will be allowed to foster Jane. Miss Fisher offers him a drink and he hesitates, then accepts. He tells her that going forward, she might as well call him Jack instead of Inspector Robinson, which she does. She says he might as well call her Phryne, which he doesn't.
0: (laughs) Thank you for that summary. Um, So like I said, I watched the the pilot, the the first episode, and then this. And um, it reminded me of one of my favorite tropes of superhero comics, which is like the Avengers. Whenever a new writer takes over, you get the choosing the team and getting the team together episode. (laughs) where it's, yeah, uh, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. alright everyone who was in here for the last 40 I- issues we're giving you all a break Captain America's the new leader and he's gonna select his team from a you know we're gonna go through their strengths and weaknesses and yeah. get to know everyone a little bit yes. and that's very much what I felt it's like this is a getting the gang together yes. story like she's <laughs> building her little family that's uh-huh. gonna be part of her her murder mystery solving uh, machine and I, I don't know how the orphan Jane is gonna be involved uh-huh. yeah but clearly she's gonna be involved yes. in helping to solve these and the butler's a fascinating character right. where like everything he does is like the opposite of what I just expected to have happen right. and I love it it's- it's 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 great. Yeah,
1: and I didn't yeah, there's there's the there's Mr. Butler who is her butler appropriately named. There's also Bert and Sess who mm-hmm. are um who were dock workers and now they drive a taxi.
0: And they're communists, right?
1: Um I think Sess is like the oh. really, really strong communist, and Bert is anyway, they're hilarious. Yeah um they're one of the really, really fun things about the show is that you get this broad spectrum of Australian accents, which um because like a very, very posh Australian accent pretty much just sounds like an English accent. And so you have like Bert and Sess on the low end. And then a little bit higher than that you have in, in terms of like the broadness of the accent, you know, up towards like the poshness. And then a little bit higher than that you have um you have Constable Collins. And then higher than that you have uh Detective Robinson. And then higher than him you have Miss Fisher and probably higher than her you have um uh, Prudence Stanley, which is not a character in the second episode, but she's Miss Fisher's aunt and very, mm-hmm. very concerned about um, about pro- propriety and being very refined. Um,
0: which Miss Fisher's not.
1: Which Miss <laughs> Fisher's not. Yes, yes. Um, and and anyway, so so if you happen to be a linguistics nerd or a dialect nerd, it's just really, really fun to hear kind of this gamut of of broad versus um, more posh Australian
0: accents. Would you like to lay your linguistics nerd cards on the table? <laughs>
1: Um, uh, I have a bachelor's degree in linguistics. Yeah, that uh, is my nerd card. Uh,
0: so when you say if you happen to be, you're saying right, I right, enjoy it. Right. Okay,
1: yes, yes. <laughs> well, see, and I tend to assume um, I tend to assume that everyone is a secret linguistics nerd, and that I'm kind of surprised when people are not. But apparently, some people go through life without caring about accents so, or, or you know.
0: taking notes in the International Phonetic Alphabet. Or- <laughs>
1: I actually was doing that in a boring meeting um, yesterday.
0: I did it back <laughs> when I was taking linguistics classes, when I had to be learning the International Phonetic Alphabet. I deliberately chose to do it. It's gone now. Yes. I don't have it anymore.
1: <laughs> Side note, why why were you taking linguistics classes?
0: I had to do it for, uh, like, just as one of the, like, check this box for my English masters. I had to have a certain oh, number of linguistics okay. courses. Oh, like, too. like,
1: England classes? Yeah. Oh, shame. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. That makes sense, actually.
0: Uh, so, Miss Fisher, mm-hmm. um, as, as you noted, not concerned with propriety. Mm-mm. Um, but what aspects? I, and I don't think I have as much of a handle on this mm-hmm. as as you seem to. We do get like one scene where she kind of Sherlock's the crime scene, yeah, uh, and, and just identifies everything that the the police may have missed. But what is it about her personality that makes her well suited to be a detective? Besides, just I'm observant.
1: Yeah. So, um, she also has she has kind of an interesting backstory that um that doesn't entirely come up in the first two episodes. But basically, she she grew up very poor. Um, in in some suburb of Melbourne, and then um, and then when World War One broke out, she went to France to go be a nurse, and so she did that for a few years and like won some award for bravery or something, and then kind of like gathered about Europe for a bit, um, and then during the war, a bunch of relatives on her father's side all died, and they were and you know they kind of pulled a you know first episode of Downton Abbey where basically he inher- ended up inheriting a title and a lot of money, and so by the end of the war he was a baron in the tv show i think he's an earl in the books and she and that's why she's the honorable miss Fisher. that's the title that she gets as the daughter of a baron and so and so that's why she has all this money and so she comes off as this very um she can come off as uh, an airhead almost you know she's she's just sort of like la 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 and she and she dresses on really fancy clothing and stuff but she um she has a much more serious and in some ways dark background and she very very strongly cares about people. When I was I was um I posted on social media asking people to kind of weigh in about like the series and I think that her her deep deep caring about people is something that um something that really drives her through the show because it's not, you know, it's not just a matter of okay, Jane the you know, Jane the Ragamuffin needs to tell her what she what she knows and it's not just a matter of of, you know, okay, we need to, you know, we need to send Jane you know, Jane needs to be taken out of the care of this like actively evil sort of Fagin like person. Um, it's like, but she says multiple times at the beginning of the show, "I don't like kids. I don't like kids. I don't like kids." And by the end of the episode, she has adopted a child because she sees that this child is in is desperately in need. And so, um, and so she's someone who's always looking at the human side of things and and fighting for um fighting for you know people to be allowed to live their lives and and have freedoms in later episodes there's um there's a couple who have an interracial marriage and they kind of talk about how um the the wife is black and she's american and so like she they were you know she there was like very frowned upon to have an interracial marriage there at the time and it's like still a little bit frowned on in australia but she's very supportive of them she just thinks you should you know you should love who you want to love um there are other characters who have gay and lesbian relationships and she really champions that and that's one of the things that um although Although there were, I'm, there were certainly people who felt that way in the 1920s, you'd be much less likely to have a character like that written in the 1920s because of the cultural beliefs at the time. So th- those are so, some things that, um, that definitely mark it as something that's, that's written from a later date, kind of looking back. But she just, she just really, really, really cares about people. Um, and Jack tends to be more focused on, I mean, he, he also cares about people and, and he can kind of, he can give, um, he can, seem to give off the impression that he doesn't but he is someone who's very very committed to his role um you know and there's an episode where he says like i am the servant of the law not the master like i don't get to pick and choose which laws that i follow but he does occasionally find loopholes that um that he can benefit so there's there's an episode where um where there's a man who's having a gay relationship and there's some photographic evidence of that and It's illegal in Australia at the time, and he could be, and I think he's been blackmailed for it, and that's kind of part of the part of the episode. Um, And but then, but then the other left with evidence of this relationship that is illegal under the law at the time, and and Franny's really upset, and she's like, "This shouldn't be illegal. This is so terrible." And Jack's like. I can't change this law. Like, that's not my job. My job is to enforce the law. But then Jack says, he hands her the photographs and says, now you, on the other hand, are not bound by the law in the way that I am. And so she, and, and basically gives her an opportunity to, to destroy, destroy. the evidence. Yeah. And so that's, that's a really good example of, you know, she's the, she's the person first and feelings first mm-hmm. and emotion first and being supportive of people first. And he's the law first, but they both ultimately want the same thing you know and she's not someone she's not someone who's going to let someone off the hook if they've done something terrible like she's going to be very sympathetic but you know just well, like because they like you
0: the first victim was a friend a friend right yes, they, or, yes i yes. mean not the first victim the first culprit was, yeah, in the was, pilot. was, mm-hmm. was a, a family friend that she th- there's no hesitation when she oh, when yeah. she cracks it it's like nope oh, you're going to jail
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and you know and and in the and in the first episode as well, the person who dies is this terrible person. He's a terrible husband. He um, – in the very beginning, he um, he keeps getting his servants pregnant and they have to go, you know, with, with disastrous questions for – disastrous consequences for them. So he's not, like, a good person. Um, although then it also turns out that the woman is, like, a drug kingpin, too. None of them are good. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> she maybe she should have chosen a better friend.
1: Right, right. Maybe, which she does yeah. in the next does. episode. <laughs> which she does, yes. <laughs> Yeah.
0: So in uh, her decision to like become the lady detective, yes, it's not like this is what she was doing previously. No. it's no. like I, I am observant enough, observant enough that I I know I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I assume, like through, through three series, like she, you see her obtaining new skills and, and you know greater competencies and um, things.
1: You know, it's funny that you say that. I would actually. Say- Say no oh. she is incredibly competent at to begin with girl. yeah yeah and that's something i i was asking some friends on social media what you know what they liked about her what they liked about the series and she is just you know incredibly she's smart and resourceful and observant and um i honestly no would not say mm-hmm. i wouldn't say that she that she really that she grows in that way um and i haven't really thought about if she has an arc at all um I, you know, she probably does. I, I can't think well, of one kind of offhand, but. but...
0: But at the same time, there's also the comfort in knowing who you're getting every time you turn on the episode. So it's like, yeah. you, you do... Yeah. Like, it's nice to have some growth, but you also sure. want her to be Friday. But like, it's,
1: you, you know, know. It's, it's unusual to have... Um, female characters especially who are that competent at what they do you know it's always like good at one thing but they need a man to rescue them and i and i was as i was rewatching the pilot because i started paying attention later on in the series to see if because there are plenty of episodes where you know miss fisher um confronts a murderer they get into a fight you know especially if it's a a man who's stronger than her it's very threatening situation and jack will show up at the end but he never rescues her he never 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 rescues her He's there for the arrest it's always it's always like she ends up you know being able to reach like a lamp and she takes the lamp and like knocks the guy over the head or somehow you know mm-hmm. so he does show up he rescues other characters and he shows up to to pick up the pieces and sometimes and i think in the pilot technically he rescues her but then she also because she's locked up in this in this um in this building and she's gonna be she
0: saves herself also in that yes, one
1: yes but she wouldn't have been able to get out without yes him. but she
0: had uh, she'd worked her yeah yes, everything yes. out anyway to, yeah. yeah but
1: that's like the closest he ever comes and i really you know it's it's not um i i don't mind shows where mm-hmm. a character rescues another character but but he just like he absolutely does not rescue her it's it's this yeah. very very you know she always finds some way at the last minute to do it and then he shows up and like you said arrests people or rescues other people or tracks other people down mm-hmm. and kind of cleans up
0: uh, so we have a very observant, competent, uh, lady detective. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> it think, uh, it, so I've, I've been binging, uh, Jane the Virgin after we did an episode talking about the uh-huh. pilot. I just kept watching <laughs> and there's one storyline where there's, uh... Uh, a character named Rogelio is in a telenovela and they keep mentioning in the telenovela we like we have to save the lady the lady scientist and, and the narrator every time is like just the scientist and, and, but they keep saying the lady scientist on the show and the narrator keeps probably just right, scientist right and, and so yeah we never it's like I'm gonna lady be the detective. lady detective I'm like
1: how much is detective yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah but you know at the, at the time you kind mm-hmm. of take what you can get yeah side note I we recently hired a new student in the office where I work um and she's a stats major. And I said, oh, I, I, I called her a lady statistician. But it was very tongue-in-cheek of like, ha, 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 aren't we, you know, lady... Oh, I think I think our students were like a lady statistician and a lady economist and a lady finance major. And we joked about them like dealing with all those delicate lady numbers that... <laughs> <laughs> that people in those majors work yeah. with
0: <laughs> um but I, I i like again like i love getting the gang together and i love mm-hmm. the small family that i i only got to see two episodes before yep. it left netflix that that was being formed around her um and it one thing i i did very much enjoy is even though there's hierarchy it's you could just sense mutual respect all the way around mm-hmm. um for for all these characters i mean clearly she is the protagonist of sure. the story and sure. and she's the one that is giving assignments. Yeah. But you also sense that these, these, this is a team where they all like each other. Yeah. Like sometimes I feel particularly in American television, like in the drive to create tension, you end up with teams of people who dislike each other. And it's kind of unpleasant yeah. to watch them interact. Yeah. And this was like, oh, they're just going to go solve mysteries together. Our little taxi cab guys and right. the butler and the, and right. the maid. And, yeah. and, and, and
1: the, and the doctor, the doctor yeah. friend in the from mm. first episode, she comes yeah. back and, and even Aunt Prudence um, in, in later episodes. Yeah. And it's, you know, she doesn't, um, she also doesn't use her social position or wealth to kind of bully people you know she's not like she's not she doesn't say to dot like oh you know well i'm i'm your boss so you have to do this with me it's like oh this will be a fun adventure we're going to have an adventure and we're going to you know get a new car or something um and there's and there's an episode where and i can't i can't remember what she's done exactly but she's she's done something where technically she has to she's committed some minor crime and so she has to get her mugshot taken and and like i can't remember if she even ends up in jail briefly but anyway she so she's getting her so the the constable is who knows her very well at this point and you know wants to date her her maid um is taking her mugshot and she's posing for the mugshots like they're glamour shots and so she's like going like this and the constable's just like cracking up like okay i can't believe we have to do this but yeah we have to do this um so yeah you know everyone i mean they 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 get along the way siblings kind of butt heads a little bit occasionally, mm-hmm. um, maybe burdens has sp- specifically, but um, yeah, they get along and they respect each other and they all have, they all have, um, you know, they all have strengths and weaknesses and, and tools that they can put to their, put to their advantage.
0: Now, uh, not knowing how the series goes, does it do... One of the classic elements of the hour-long crime drama, where it's like we're going to be visiting a new subculture for one episode, and, and you know, getting yes. to know uh, crime yes. in this area, which uh, which so. allows like the quick hero's journey, where it's like, okay, we're crossing into the unknown world of like for bones, is like now we're going into the skateboard subculture, uh, you know, and, and and we're gonna we're gonna descend into this unknown world until mm-hmm. we we learn enough about it that we can put the pieces together to solve the crime, and, and then come out, and we've all learned a little bit about this one subculture.
1: Yeah, and and so yeah. Yeah, there's there's um there's an episode that revolves around a play a theater group of people there's an episode that revolves around a magician's act there's an mm-hmm. episode that revolves around um around the jewish subculture in in melbourne um and there's one that revolves around like underground like fight fighting rings uh-huh. um and 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 there are a couple where it's kind of her and her family, but they're off, you know, or they're off at the seaside or something. Um, yeah. And I hadn't thought about it that way, of like of like exploring the subcultures. But yeah, but, that's very but, much what but happens.
0: Being set in 1920s Melbourne, like all of these would be kind of new. Like there'd be new flavors to all. Absolutely, of these. absolutely. Whereas like when for modern, like if you're watching CSI or or Elementary or Bones uh, or Castle, these all kind of run together as yeah. to you know what it is that they're exploring. Oh, they're doing that, or, or or they
1: become increasingly ridiculous. And yeah. and I'm I'm told that the I've read the original author. Did a meticulous amount of research, and they also tried to um, tried to copy that for the TV show. And so, I think you know they're trying to be very accurate in terms of in terms of um, you know these characters and these subcultures as they were at the time.
0: Now, it, it, I, I'm sure you haven't read the the twenty <laughs> volumes of, of the no. novels, but I saw like the first the title of the first novel is the title of the first episode. So, do you know are they like one to one, or are they putting elements? Or? So,
1: my understanding is that some of the that. At least to a certain extent, the early episodes are adaptations of the books or or, or, or um, heavily based on the books because because I read something where the, the writers, the screenwriters naively thought that would be easier to do and then discovered it's still really hard because the things you're trying to preserve, you know, is such a different medium. One thing that's very different between the books and the TV show is that Jack Robinson is not a love interest in the book. In the books. He's he's married and he's, you know, happily married and he's kind of like and he's kind of like I know what question you're gonna ask. And he's kind of like, you know, faceless and and no one remembers him. And so um and so Miss Fisher, in in both the books and the movies, has flings, let's say, constantly. Um, um and but in the – but in the TV show, there is um, – there develops this very strong romantic tension between the two of them that is not present in the books.
0: Ask your question. In the second episode, isn't there some implication that he's married or has – because you asked if, if mm-hmm. he has children, right? Right.
1: So he is he's married when the series starts. Um, and, and the backstory of that is that he – so they he was married before world war 1 went off to world war 1 and basically came back a very different person and his marriage has been sort of dead since then and but either either in the first or between the sometime between the first and the second series he and his wife separate and then they divorce in the second series okay so he is a single man and then actually she comes back for a few episodes that are kind of interesting um yes yeah, so he is a single man as of some point in the in the second series at least okay <laughs> yeah no which is which is an interesting point because she is this free spirit but she's not someone who's going to hit on a married man mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's something that's, um. At least the line that she doesn't cross in the, she doesn't cross that in the in the, in the TV show. Um, and yeah, well, I, 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 mm-hmm.
0: in the second episode when she's flirting with one of the suspects, yeah, yeah, she yeah. says something like, "I I don't allow uh, I, I can't remember what like I don't allow romance during my investigation." I'm like you did last episode, right? Like I've right. watched two episodes, and in one of two, <laughs> you had a fling with one of the suspects.
1: That's <laughs> true. It's true. Yeah. No. Yeah. And and I'm and I'm I'm sure she has. I'm trying to think if she ever has a fling with someone who actually does the murder. She. I'm sure she does. There are a lot of flings. Um, um, But it's also interesting, too, because in the first episode, um, when she very, very first meets Inspector Robinson, um, she's trying to play this whole, like you know, damsel in distress and she's just like, Oh, you know, can I have your card? Because I'm a single woman living in the city and, you know, it's so dangerous. And I and he is not having it. Like she is really flirting with him. Not I mean, not quite seducing him, but just doing this whole like, oh, I'm a single woman all alone. And he's just like, okay, get out. This is a crime scene. And that's a very um it, it's also a very a very um common theme that he is a man of honor and principle and he's not, you know, which in, in the whole opposites attract sort of way, obviously, that's why she's attracted to him is he's like the one guy that she can't have a fling with because he's not going to just have a fling with someone, certainly not while he's married and, and not even while he's single, as it turns out. Um, as I was describing it to a friend that, you know, she she's a free spirit and he's a put a ring on it kind of guy. And that's um, – that is a – that's the – Unstoppable force and the immovable object <laughs> problem of the series. So
0: maybe resolved in the film. <laughs> uh, I hope so. I really hope so.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I'd say it gets about twenty five percent resolved by the end of the series, but certainly not definitively resolved. So,
0: um, so. With are, are for you? Are there any of these like side characters in particular stand out? Where it's like, oh, you know, like whenever they're on screen, it's like, yes, yeah. I, I like seeing this part of the ensemble.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I like um, I like Doctor McMillan a lot. So she's she's um, I think she's my... the one
0: they did cocaine with. Together. Yes, yes,
1: the doctor who does cocaine. Well, well,
0: well <laughs> the first episode, they like, well, what is the substance? It's like, well, it could be cocaine. Let's see. <laughs>
1: yep. that is cocaine. Okay. Let me see. <laughs> yeah, still co- still cocaine. <laughs> I- <laughs> I like to think it was probably not as potent in the 1920s as it is now. Don't do cocaine, kids. Um, uh, so she – they have a different person who's a coroner in in the first series, but she actually becomes the coroner, the official coroner, by the, by the second or third series. And that's fun, too, because then she gets to be involved in, you know, when she's doing autopsies and various things. Um, so she's really great. Um, man, that's such a good question. I don't know the The main characters are just so fantastic, and the and the the relationship between Dot and Hugh, it it kind of plays out as like the junior varsity version of the of the you know of the tension and the budding heads between between Jack and Miss Fisher because it's a lot more straightforward. It's like, oh, are there like... budding heads
0: with those two? Because in the um, episodes, I just saw f- doe right. eyes, right?
1: <laughs> very occasionally, very occasionally. So so um. There comes a point when, um, when spoiler, they are engaged, and it turns out that, um, that Hugh expects that Dot will stop working when she's engaged, and ju- or when they get married, and just be a housewife. And she's like, "I like solving crimes with Miss Fisher. I don't want to stop doing this." So that's an area of tension, mm-hmm. um, mostly, it, and mostly it just turns out to, you know, like like Hugh wants to ask Dot out, and everyone knows this, but he cannot bring himself to do it, and so like. Franny and Jack are like, has Hugh asked Dot out yet? No. Like, well, what is he waiting for? I know, right? And there's like a policeman's ball coming up or something, and and Jack's like, he needs to hurry up, and Franny's like, yeah, he really needs to hurry up, and so they're, they're they're like trying to move the pieces around and get them together, and eventually, even when he asks her, um, he's like, um, so Dot, and Dot's like, and he then he pauses, and Dot's like. You want to ask me to something? And he goes, Yes. And and she's like, Do you want to ask me to the police with the ball? And he's like, Yes. And so like it ends up being kind of reversed. Um, but the way that the way that um that Jack and Franny both both are supportive of that relationship and kind of try and maneuver things so that mm-hmm. they'll end up together. And and I do really, really like that about their characters because um because Friday especially, again, is this free spirit and wants to, you know, do whatever do whatever she does and have all these flings. But she understands that not everyone is like that. And she's not trying to like, yes, she's, you know, she and Dot are are having new experiences and trying new things, but um she's not trying to force dot to be her and she doesn't think that her way of living is necessarily superior it's just what makes her happy and she wants dot to have something that makes her happy which is going to be you know a steady boyfriend who is a police officer and and um and so even though that relationship is very different from one that she would want herself she's very supportive of it um and and just generally supportive of what other people want in their life except that what jack wants is Again, except that Jack is a put a ring on it kind of guy, and he is interested in her. And yeah, <laughs> what, what, what are you gonna do about that? So, so that's the one thing that she can't that she can't um, work out because it caused her to change.
0: So, just seeing where the pieces are on the chessboard yes. in, in these first two episodes, it it felt like Dot was the character that was going to have an evolution, where she was going to be different at the end mm-hmm. than where she was at the beginning. And like Mr. Butler is the one where we're going to learn more about him, but he's not really changing. Sure, this is like sure, sure. secrets that he had, layers to him yeah. that are just being doled out by the writers when you know whenever they want to have a little bit of fun. Yeah, that's
1: um, fair. <laughs> and,
0: and, and it felt like uh, I I didn't know what Miss Fisher if she was going to have an arc. You're saying it doesn't. You're not quite even sure if we can say any changes particularly. She just is so, yeah. so confident and assertive in what she is at the beginning. Right. There's no real need. Right. Not that for I can think of off the top of my head. Transformation. <laughs> um, do the cab drivers have any transformation that happens? Um I, I, that I, that didn't feel like it for me. Yeah, it was really Like yeah. Dot is the one that is going to come out of right, her shell, uh, right. and most of these other characters felt established, and it's going to be playing off of each other's where the fun's going to be.
1: And Hugh, to a certain extent too, Hugh becomes um, a, a more supportive of Dot. There's there's this one whole episode that's all about, um, well, so Dot's Catholic and Hugh's Protestant, and that turns out to be an issue. And then so so um, Hugh decides to convert. Because Dot won't marry him if he's Protestant, but then like he discovers that like in the Catholic, you know, in the in whatever their the the wedding vows or the or the counseling before marriage, it says that wives should obey their husbands, and he's like, "That's great," and and, uh, and so that's you know, there's there's an episode where um where they're kind of you know butting heads of sort of like a like a feminist issue, and he becomes more supportive of Dot, you know, still making her own choices and not being this very stereotypical um this very stereotypical 1920s housewife.
0: All right. Well, is there anything about this particular episode, like the mystery? When you, I mean, you got to kind of choose what episode you want to talk about, because I wasn't familiar. Mm-hmm. Is it, why did you choose the Ballarat trade, something mystery, or, or Orient Express? I can't remember.
1: Yes, <laughs> the Murder on the Ballarat Express. There it Express. is. Your, I think it is. Yeah, Murder on the Orient Express. Everything turns into that. Yeah. Um, so I was really torn about which episode to pick because I kept thinking of really, really favorite moments like, you know, like Miss Fisher post- posing for the mugshot or or really great um, moments of tension in their relationship. You know, those when you have when you have um, TV shows that that kind of work on that unresolved, you know, romantic tension. There are, like, you wait you wait for a whole season for just one moment that sort of bring, brings things to a higher level. And ultimately, I, I picked the second episode because I didn't want to do the pilot because I thought, well, the pilot is setting everything up and so you have to spend all that time doing that. But I want to do something that kind of starts – that was early enough that it would kind of show you the beginning of these characters and the beginning of the relationships because I felt if I picked an episode that was too late, there would be backstory that was yeah. missing.
0: So the transformation isn't in her character changing. It's in her relationship with, Absolutely. with Jack. Where Absolutely. You, where you <laughs> see mm-hmm. the transformation. With really,
1: Jack. Yeah. yeah, And with Dot. And with mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Jack especially.
0: Yeah. So so they're, they're, they deepen and strengthen and, and alter their relationships. But the characters still are largely themselves. Except for Dot. Again, I'm yeah. imagining coming out of her shell quite a bit. Because she is so... Yes. So tight, yes. like, like just the way the actress holds herself. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, she just looks uncomfortable wherever she is. She can't be herself. Yeah, uh, you know, she's she feels constrained mm-hmm. um, always. And and seeing how free Miss Fisher is, and you pair those two, you just know, <laughs> like, oh, Dottie, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. feel a little better about things. Yes, <laughs> it, it's coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, any final thoughts about Miss Fisher's murder mysteries?
1: Let's see if any of my friends said anything very deep that I should read. Oh, um, yeah, let me just read some things that my friend said, cause they're smart. Um, so my friend Krista says, I love that Jack and Franny's relationship moves from rivals to allies. It's so, so rare that an enemies to lovers plotline doesn't include, um, lovers as a people who are in love. Don't get your hopes up. Uh, it is so, so rare that an enemies to lovers plotline doesn't include the women capitulating her life to her bows. I just adore seeing them support each other. Um, My friend Krista says uh, that Phryne manages stereotypically masculine efficiency and efficacy without giving up stereotypically feminine qualities like beauty, compassion, and social connections. And then um, let's see if there's one more. Um, And then Krista also says, I love how positive it is towards all kinds of people and belief systems. And I can't think of many other women characters that are so consistently competent.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, kind of disappointed that it's gone from Netflix. I'm going to have to see wh- what streaming service it pops up on. <laughs> um, it's going to
1: be on Acorn.
0: On Acorn. I have
1: no idea what that is. I think
0: th- that one I thought did Canadian <laughs> shows were coming through Acorn. Yes. But through Amazon Prime, you can get an Acorn. Again. Uh, there's too many streaming options. What is going on with this right, world? It right. feels like... Um. So when I was working on the book on Cheers, I was reading a little bit about um tv distribution in the 1980s and mm-hmm. the advent of cable and this is what that feels like because it was yeah. the wild wild west when yeah, yeah, cable yeah. was first becoming a thing and everything was getting carved up in weird ways and there was no regulation i think that's where we're still at in streaming and hopefully things will settle down in the next three or four years yeah. so it's like okay here are my four options and that's really what i want and
1: there i mean i'm sure there, are not to give the librarian plug but i'm sure there are libraries that have it on dvd
0: mm, excellent. Yeah. so i will look into that
1: Yes, we're finally getting around to doing Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries now that it is officially off of Netflix. Sorry. (laughs) It is worth tracking down from another streaming service or in another format. I promise.
0: Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to go check out episode number 32 when we talked about Bones or episode number 68 when we talked about Murder, She Wrote. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute, And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Bye-bye. We're discussing two episodes of the series, Murder on the Ballarat Train, which was written by Elizabeth Coleman. Uh, or sorry, we're discussing episode two. Uh,
1: oh, I was, was like, what was the other episode?
0: I, well, I read that, I'm like, we're not doing two, are we? I <laughs> hope it was the pilot, because I don't what I watched. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, she wasn't out at this, but it was really it said episode two. <clears throat>